So, hi Gunnar, welcome back. Uh, and you were the last time in 2019. I thought... Oh, wow. <laughs> I thought yeah. like... Hey there. Last year, but it was 2019. Um, yeah, I wasn't sure. I was wondering the same, actually. I wasn't sure when it was uh, for the last time that we spoke. But yeah, two years then. Wow. Yeah, you were twice, I think, in 2019. And I thought, you know, you, you came back in 2020 or 21, but it's not true. I was waiting for your call every week and you didn't reach out and I was so sad. <laughs> This is not true because uh, once, I re <laughs> once I remember you asked me something about exceptions and I said, okay, I have no time, but we can set up a podcast and talk about that. And you, and you answered oh, really? me. Oh. Yeah, and you answered this is not enough, you know, to talk about. I was like, okay. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, right. That's true. I remember that. Okay, yes. Yeah, um, you're right. <laughs> so I missed out essentially. Okay. So um, Fair enough. Debezium. So what happened since last time? I used Debezium in lots of projects in various ways. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, wow. That's awesome. Yeah. And uh, okay. maybe if you're interested, I just tell you some, some use cases because they are, I don't know whether they are usual or not. So uh, uh, the typical use case, of course, is just data migration between databases, but this was not the main use case in my, in, in, uh, in my world. So in one okay. pro in one project was uh, like uh, we had already you know high performance system and they wanted like a low risk opportunity to have microservices with additional analytics logic so mm -hmm. of course what what happened was we uh, externalized the database using debezium in a couple of topics and mm -hmm. then you know uh, used uh, quarkus to uh, How to call it to make the topics more business-like. So usually topics are very technical. You know, if you get the data from right. from from the Bezium, you you see everything. So the first task uh, was to 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 convert them to more uh, business events, and then you know, and then for me it was almost done because then you could just use Kafka and use analytics and do whatever you like. So this was the one main case. Okay. And in other projects. So what did you use on the on the analytics side uh, for it? Uh, uh, first, uh, if you start with Kafka, my clients are already happy because the windowing functions are, for instance, great. So what they what they did okay. before, oh, you know, they, they had to mm. to to pull the database, but with Kafka it just works with Kafka streams. So um, yeah. I have to tell if I use Kafka, I always use Kafka streams because uh, I, oh, okay. I I don't see the point to use Kafka and play with byte arrays or just with objects. You know, this <laughs> is like uh, like JMS. Uh, so if I use Kafka, it should be additional added yeah. value, and KSQLDB, which is a kind of Creating right. Kafka streams in in ASCII, I more say. declarative, yeah, right, yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. I see. So, <laughs> so then, of course, in those talk uh, Java logic, because either we used uh, microprofile reactive messaging, where mm -hmm. we just got you know the pojos, and then you could do something with them. This is not exact streaming, but almost, or the declarative way with Kafka streams. So this was the analytics uh, part. Mm -hmm. Okay, and uh, and uh, sometimes Presto. Uh, Presto DB. Right. Okay. I see. Yeah. I see that coming up more often lately. I was talking well to the Trino DB guys, right? So there was a sort yeah, of exactly. a project Trino. split, mm -hmm. and I was talking to the uh, Trino guys. Um, so yes, definitely, there's lots of interesting opportunities in using these projects together for sure. Yeah, and the other project is actually cloud migrations, because okay. uh, uh, because uh, what uh, often happens is that uh, you know my clients would like or have to go to the clouds. And um, but I don't know whether this is also your perception. My perception is that uh, the clouds are widely misunderstood. So what uh, <laughs> I, I, really because uh, it it happened the last two years, I would say in ninety percent of all cases, and the perception is like what we're doing on premise is way too complicated, and mm. cloud are easier and uh, very you don't you know have to program a lot. You just can go to the cloud do something. So this is the one perception. And right. the other, and the other perception is, if you take your Kube, local Kubernetes cluster from from premise and put it to the cloud, it's going to be cheaper. So yeah, they are, they are, okay. too, they, and this is of course a terrible idea. And 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 uh, what we do if we go to the cloud? For me, there should be a difference. I, you know, a measurable business advantage. And right. um, yeah, and then what what you can do, of course, uh, do serverless. And what serverless means is in the clouds that the management you know see at the end of the month how expensive the cloud actually is and mm -hmm. management also sees how expensive is a single transaction so this is this is this is the main idea so they 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 see you know the direct link between what happens from the business point of view and uh, what uh, and uh, how, how much does it cost and 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 um, so if you do it this way 
so serverless, then of course, yeah. you know, the architectural pattern which only works is uh, event-driven architectures. Okay, yeah, I see. <laughs> uh, because, uh, yeah, uh, this is really true because, you know, in all clouds, uh, all the serverless stuff is actually event-driven. So this mm -hmm. uh, the uh, mostly um, the most famous example is HTTP is like API gateway where you can run Quarkus as a JAXRS resource, but this right. is like synchronous invocation, and this is I was the least interesting serverless solution I would say. The more common way is where you have something like message driven beans. These are lambdas mm -hmm. or Quarkus or Funky or whatever, right. and uh, they are uh, waking up on event. So you yeah. can use now the Beesim on premise to pump data to local topics. And, okay. then, and then it's interesting because if the data is persistent in Kafka, you can register to the topics and migrate them to the cloud. And right. in the cloud... Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And in the cloud, you don't have to use you know, Kafka anymore. You can use Kinesis or whatever uh, because it depends mm -hmm. on the costs. But you have, you know, uh, the, the, the synchronization is solved and uh, all, all the events are already in the cloud. And this is not like, you know, the or second Kubernetes cluster is more like now we, we have a clear advantage. So this is where I spent, you know, my time in the last two years with Debezium to give you a kind okay. of feedback. And uh, yeah. in one project, maybe we will, uh, this is the first time we will maybe synchronize between DB2 and Postgres uh, or, okay. or replicate. But this is a lot of boring use cases, right? Everyone tries yeah. to, yeah. Okay, I see. I mean, that's definitely interesting. So, yeah, cloud migration for sure, or let's say on-prem to cloud migration, there's definitely a use case which comes up a lot in the Debezium community. Oh. Um, and as you say, you you are using Kafka, let's say on-prem, and then you go to Kinesis uh, on, on AWS. Mm -hmm. There's this uh, thing, in case you have not seen it yet, uh, which is called Debezium Server. And it's another way of running Debezium. So essentially, you have three ways how you can use Debezium. One is the one which I believe you, you do uh, via Kafka Connect. So you deploy it into Kafka Connect as Kafka Connect connectors, right? So that's the first one. I would say the most common one. So I always say 90% of our users are doing that. But then what you also can do is you can use uh, Debezium as an embedded library in your Java application. It could be a Quarkus application, Spring Boot, or what have you. Mm -hmm. And then... Uh, you just would register a callback method, which should be invoked for each change event, and then you can react to the changes right within your JVM-based application without Kafka involved at all, if that's what you want. And lastly, there's uh, what this uh, thing, Debezium Server, and this essentially takes this embedded engine, but then makes it available as a ready-to-run process. So again, it's based on Quarkus, and then you can use Debezium Server together with uh, multiple sync uh, connectors. And actually, we do have one for uh, Kinesis. We do have one for Google Cloud, PubSub, and all those kinds of things. And now this means you can, do, you can use this Debezium server thingy, and you can go straight to Kinesis if that's what you want to. So you wouldn't even have to go through a Kafka topic. Uh-huh. Um, I mean, can, uh, Kafka is great, but, uh, you know, in the cloud, these costs are everything. I would say, you know, the, uh, in the cloud is like what we refer to as cost-driven architecture, Whatever we knew, you know, <laughs> yeah. five years ago, it doesn't matter. It has to be cheap. And uh, yeah, yeah, all, definitely. all, all nasty yeah. hacks. And I mean, it's right. And it's a question of, uh, you know, where, where you want to consume this data and how you want to consume it, right? So let's say you are big on AWS and you are big on Kinesis already for integrating your different things. But then it might make sense to use uh, the Beesum server because, well, this is the easiest way to get your data change events into Kinesis. Maybe if you are a Kafka shop and you just have this Kinesis one Kinesis use case on the side, so maybe then it makes sense to use both of them. But really, the idea we had is to give you some options, right? So we want to do CDC, and we, that's what we want to solve for our users. And then they can consume the Beesum and the change events in whatever way they want, whatever makes the most sense for them. That's that's the idea. So th this sounds actually interesting. So what you what you are telling me right now is that uh, you have also embedded connector, and the embedded connector is can could be embedded in a server. And we just call it the Visium server. So um, yes, and, right, exactly. But that's, that's already happening, right? So you can download that and you can use it. And we we have um, and it, it was interesting to see because so once we created the Visium server. All those people who work with the different messaging infrastructures like um, Apache Pulsar or Redis Streams or Google Cloud PubSub, all those kinds of things, we, we got tons of PRs for adding support for the Beesum server for that because, well, people are aware of the Beesum and they would like to use, uh, well, that open source change data capture, but maybe they are not on Kafka necessarily, right? And so that's why the Beesum server is very interesting for these people because they can use the Beesum and uh, it works natively, let's say, with their sort of messaging infrastructure.
Yeah, the uh, Kafka connector is like a process which uh, which uh, hooks from one side to uh, to Kafka. Right. And and uh, sorry to the database and uh, uses uh, a mix of JDBC hacks, I would say, and low level libraries. <laughs> so it, it really depends. So what I observed is, you know, if you if you do the snapshot thing, what it does is it hooks to the event system, but it uses JDBC to fetch all the data. So this is what my observation. What happens uh, yes. under the hood? Exactly. Right. Yeah. And and but the uh, the embedded connector and the server is the same functionality, but they it's are... the same thing really. It's, it's it's exactly the same thing. It's just the runtime of the connector that's that's different, right? The really the Beesum server it has the same role to play in an architecture like Kafka Connect, just that it lets you connect to different messaging infrastructures. That's the, that's the key difference. But... And for the embedded engine, I would you know many people use this who have some sort of advanced integration like use case. So let's say Apache Flink, they would like to use to be some change events and they would like to have a Flink connector. So they have built something based on the embedded engine, which then directly feeds those change events into Apache Flink. Yeah. There is actually one advantage because the connector usually runs close to the database, and uh, the problem is we try always try tried to keep the, conf uh, the configuration basic because uh, you, yeah. you know if you have to fiddle the, with the configuration usually you will there, there's uh, several there are different roles involved with management of the connector but if the connector could right. run outside we could do more like for instance I would put more you know conversion logic or adapter logic to convert you know the database types to uh, more yeah. uh, advanced uh, java types as you could do more and but uh, one thing is if the connector runs in as a kafka connector kafka watches and restarts the connector and also i think provides additional persistence for the index right but if you run outside you do the same right because you use yes <laughs> yeah right. That, yeah, that's that's a good question. So yes, in terms of the restarting, so actually, uh, yeah, there's some subtleties around that model in Kafka Connect, and I believe it's in, it, it reminds me of the model which we had in, with the application servers, right? Mm -hmm. So you have this long-running process, you deploy multiple applications, or in this case, connectors into this runtime, and then you have lots of challenges actually around it, right? So let's say one of the connectors eats up all the CPU or one of the connectors produces an out-of-memory error. Well, then all the other connectors are impacted by that as well. Or you just want to look at the logs of a single connector. Actually, it's not very easy with Kafka Connect because usually you will just see all the logs of this uh, process, which may run multiple connectors. So that's why I typically recommend people to not deploy multiple connectors into one connect uh, worker or cluster even, but ra rather have a connect node or a, even a connect cluster if you want per connector because it just gives you better isolation properties. Yeah. And I'm saying that because this restarting notion, all that, I would probably uh, see that a rather at an orchestrator level. So um, uh, there's some ideas which I was thinking about. So maybe you could have another model of Kafka Connect you know, where you move more of this orchestration logic um, to something like Kubernetes, actually, or an operator, and then this one would be in charge of spinning up multiple processes for different connector tasks and so on, and you would get away from this application server model which you currently have in Connect. Yeah, this is true, because sometimes if the container is restarted, I wouldn't... Ex I, I mean, I was surprised, you know, to, 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 to go to Kafka and watch the logs, you know, this is for me... Uh, what you're referring to for me is more like a microservice idea, right? So, uh, like yes, the, exactly. the the co connector would runs in a process outside, exactly. and exactly. So, what you did with the uh, I would say the embedded how to call it embedded connector and the uh, the Beesum server, it, uh, yeah, right. embedded engine and uh, the Beesum server, embedded engine and the Beesum server are actually implementation of the idea that uh, the process exactly. is running outside of of Kafka and still remotely connects to Kafka, so it still uses you know the same indices, you know, that it remembers where it left off, so you, you don't lose yes. any consistency, but uh, it's just, you know, the runtime is a different runtime, right? Exactly right, exactly. And, and as you speak about the offsets, so that's actually also a pluggable matter, so you can plug in different offset stores. So, the let's say um, the default, that's, uh, then you would store the offsets in Kafka um, Kafka topics, right? So, the, which makes sense if you are using Kafka, but then if you are using Kinesis or whatever, um, you probably would not just go to Kafka to store your offsets, right? So yeah. that's why this is pluggable, and there's a GBC 
based implementation, for instance, work in progress and alternative means, and you just can do your own one. So, um, you know, you can store everything in a single, single place. Okay. And, and if I'm running in the embedded mode uh, and I'm plugging into... So the, the configurable site is always... Uh, the, the configurable site is still, are still databases, and the other site is Kafka or another streaming system. This is what what you are working right, right, exactly. So uh, exactly. So you um, you would well. So so that's the case for the Debezium server, right? So there you would co essentially configure a source connector, a Debezium source connector, and then you would configure that uh, sync. This uh, we call it the outbound adapter, yeah. which describes this mes messaging infrastructure. Mm -hmm. You would configure those two things with Debezium or with the embedded engine, essentially. Uh, you just configure the source connector, the Debezium connector, and you tell uh, Debezium, okay, that's the method, my Java method, which I would like to have invoked whenever there's a change event. So it's like a method reference, which you pass to it. And then this will be invoked, and whatever you do there with the change event, that's up to you, right? Uh, so you can print it out to the console, you can, I don't know, Stored in the file, whatever you would like to do, and then Debezium will still take care of the offset management, and it will persist the offsets in a offset store which you have configured. Yeah, so the inbound are still databases like MySQL, right. uh, Postgres, exactly. Oracle, and DB2, I think, and the exactly. outbound is usually a streaming system, right? Exactly right, exactly right. But it could be also a REST endpoint. It could be. Uh, it's interesting you say that because, uh, so yes, exactly. So the original idea was that the outbound connectors would always describe a messaging infrastructure. And I believe that makes lots of sense because yeah. it gives you this optionality, right? So you can reread topics, you can have multiple consumers. So you don't have to think about the consuming side when you produce the change events. I believe that's a big advantage. But then actually, um, just recently, somebody built a... Uh, sync connector or outbound adapter for the Beesum server, which sends events to Apache Iceberg. So, you know, which is this um, file format for analytics, and uh, you can, you know, describe your files, let's say, on S3. And uh, in that case, well, that's not a messaging infrastructure, but really it's a sync system, like some, something like S3. And uh, they found this useful because, well, they have the direct pipeline from their database to S3 in this case. And maybe they are not interested in this sort of optionality, so it makes sense for them. Because I got an uh, interesting uh, use case, maybe. If you probably yeah. know, you can uh, run Quarkus as an AWS Lambda behind uh -huh. an API gateway. And uh, right. you have you need the API gateway because the API gateway translates the uh, HTTP calls to HTTP events, and uh -huh. the Quarkus picks the HTTP events and translates them to JAXRS calls. Mm -hmm. But with your Debezium server, we could skip actually the API gateway. Yes, uh, definitely. I mean, so, yeah, you could... I, I don't know, how would you consume the events then via Lambda invocation? It, it doesn't matter because you could map the Lambda to uh, to different resources and uh, and the HTTP event is just a JSON format. So there mm -hmm. would be some experimentation because I'm pretty sure if you would tell, you know, Quarkus, listen to this uh, Lambda. The Lambda can be invoked by different uh, sources. So what we mm -hmm. would need is to experiment whether... Uh, it could also, know, you know, pick the events from SQS, for instance, mm -hmm. or uh, SNS, it doesn't matter. And if, if this uh, event delivers an HTTP event, let's say, yeah. then this JAXRS could pick that. Uh, right. But in this particular case, because you are also in charge of, of Quarkus indirectly, we wouldn't even need, you know, the uh, entire HTTP event. We could just write, you know, whatever we like, just to invoke the post methods, post methods in in JaxRS. So this was just, just as you described that, yeah. I say, okay, this could be interesting because you know the idea that uh, you have locally something running and consuming database events and pushing them to the cloud. So uh, push could be, you know, uh, directly uh, communicating with SQS SNS, or Definitely. it could also be, you know, you are invoking post or put methods. And this yeah, is where, where 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 the idea was. Is it hard actually to implement such an adapter, so which receives the event or? Yeah, no, no, I don't think. I mean, it's uh, uh, it's essentially a bit of glue code, right? So yeah. essentially, you just need uh, you have this callback method. You need to make sure to invoke whatever endpoint uh, yeah. it is you need to invoke. Then there's some subtleties around batching if this is supported, yeah. for instance. Um, but it's not too difficult. No, it's, uh, I don't know, a few days, I guess, it would take you with testing and everything. Okay, so it sounds interesting. So the first step would be, of course, just you know, like a zero connector, just receive everything and log it. Right. This would yeah. be, you know. 
Yeah, and um, we are very we are very open also for contributions there. So as I mentioned, we have quite a few of those outbound connectors at this point, and we can add more. They don't create lots of effort in terms of maintenance for us, so that's yeah. why I'm pretty happy to add more as people you know want to contribute them. Okay. This is what happens on the Bison front. So which database is already supported right now? You remember them? Right. Oh, yeah. So um, let me see. So we have MySQL and Postgres, yeah. and, which I believe are the most, uh, the, the two most commonly used ones. Uh, we have MongoDB, which is very interesting. So right now in uh, we are working on the Debezium 1.8 release, which will be published at the end of the year. Mm -hmm. And the MongoDB connector, it's core, a part of a key uh, area for that release. So we, uh, for instance, we take support, we will support now what's called change streams in MongoDB. So mm -hmm. that's a new way of getting change events out of MongoDB, which for instance, let us uh, get change events also from MongoDB 5. We will have support for the outbox pattern with uh, MongoDB. Um, and there's also this notion of incremental snapshots, which we just recently added. We can speak about that a bit yeah, um, sure. in more depth, maybe. So that's also supported for MongoDB now. Um, so, you know, lots of things coming from MongoDB, uh, in, in this release. But then also we have DB2, as you said. We have, um, let me see. Cassandra, that's a community-led connector. We have, uh, Wites, which also is a community-led connector under the Debezium umbrella. And there is uh, more, I don't remember it from the top of my head. Of course, Oracle, we also have Oracle. Um, so altogether, we have eight connectors. Under Microsoft the SQL Server? Oh, yeah, of course. Definitely, exactly. That's the one. Thank you. So SQL Server, that's also there. And so and we, we, that's also interesting to see. So this model of governance, let's say, that's also evolving. So we have... Those connectors, which have been always been worked on by the Debezium core team, and it was mostly Red Hat engineers who drove the work there. Now we have, uh, in addition to that, we have this notion of what we call community-led connectors, where it's folk from other companies, so it's not Red Hat engineers, but others who drive the work on that connector. So that's the case for Cassandra and Wites. That's a separate repos under the Debezium organization on GitHub, but it's then it's other folks who drive the work there. Um, and then there's a third level, which is, uh, well, growing right now, which is also very interesting. And there's this external people um, so work on their own connector, which is based on the Debezium framework, but they don't do it as part of the Debezium organization on GitHub. And this was the case for uh, ScyllaDB, which is this uh, NoSQL store, which is API compatible with Cassandra and I believe DynamoDB and a few others. So when the Scylla folks were looking for you know, a CDC story for getting the changes out of ScyllaDB into Kafka, they came across the Debezium connector framework and they said, okay, so we will take this framework and we will then implement this connector on our own uh, GitHub organization and we are the maintainers of that. But still they have the format compatibility with the Debezium change events. So this means now if, uh, if you are a user, you can use the Debezium core connectors or you can use the ScyllaDB connector and it will give you the same change event format. It will give you the same sort of configuration experience. And it's uh, very interesting to see how the Bizum, you know, grows and grows and, um, it sort of becomes a de facto standard, I would say, for, um, change state capture. Okay. So what, what exciting features you see in Debezium recently were implemented. So um, <laughs> you already mentioned some. So there are the databases, various databases. So what are the nice features right. you like the most? Mm -hmm. So let's say, uh, I would say one part of that is uh, really the idea to make Debezium an entire platform for change data capture. So really not only being, you know, Kafka Connect source connectors, but be a true CTC platform. And there's few efforts, um, a few efforts which um, attribute to that. One of them is, for instance, this Debezium UI. So we are working on a graphical user interface. It's a web-based UI, which lets you configure Debezium connectors, which lets you examine their state, restart them, and so on. So that's pretty exciting. Are you using um, Angular? Uh, no, we are not using Angular. Very good. Okay. React. I mean, I'm I'm not uh, that much involved with UI because I'm not a big UI expert. So there's separate engineers working on the UI, but of course it's happening in close collaboration. So I do know it's based on React, but that's uh, pretty much all I know. Uh, uh, this is an Angular anecdote, as you probably know. I did some uh, workshops um, at the airport Munich, and right. uh, I did also Angular workshops and do uh, uh, like five years ago. And uh, once uh, we started like with one button, and someone okay. and, and and just everything broke and and nothing worked, and then turned out that uh, an attendee just you know watched the folder, and Angular downloaded thirty five thousand JavaScript files, 
oh my for, 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 for this button. <laughs> and, uh, and then, and then what happened is the, um, the uh, one attendee asked me, okay, Angular comes with like a code generator for the for the JavaScript stuff. So like, could we just upgrade, use the recent features? Of course. So I did it. Okay. And then nothing worked because uh, the you know the Angular version was different to the generator version, and we spent three three hours debugging the oh, Angular framework. Yeah. yeah. And um, so w- what happened then is I deprecated the courses, and I say I, I actually don't believe Angular. I got so many requests regarding Angular, yeah. so I'm doing this, but this is the only course where I do something you know without believing in it, and I just cancelled the entire course. It was like five years ago. So this is like, okay. and you and you said okay, building the UI. I immediately thought you know about my Angular. Oh, I see, I see. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I mean, I mean, UIs are so complex, right? It's it's um, and also there's so many frameworks popping up and new versions, so it's. Hard. But React is not nice. React is uh, actually reasonable, so it's uh, it look. I guess so. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah. what I keep hearing. It seems to be pretty, pretty yeah. good. Yeah. Interesting. So, uh, so, so the, you being uh, UI, what you can do with the UI? You know the use cases. Yeah. So, um, well, the idea really is uh, to make it easier for people to set up connectors and to to run DBZM. So, because that's one of the feedbacks we got. Um, you know, there's lots of configuration options. It can sometimes be hard to understand their implications, and um, people maybe sometimes have a harder time to get started with DBZM than we would like them to have. So that's the idea to help them there. And to give you one specific example, so there is this idea of um, filters, right? So you can specify which are the tables mm-hmm. or which are the schemas I would like to capture. And you sp- express those filters in terms of regular expressions. Mm-hmm. So this works very well. It lets you very f- fine-grained specify uh, the set of tables you would like to capture. But then it also is uh, prone to subtle details, right? So let's say you're not familiar with direct ex- syntax or you just get it r- uh, wrong and you may end up uh, with capturing not any table whatsoever. So that happens um, quite frequently. Then people are wondering, I don't get any change events. Why is that happening? Well, you have excluded all the tables. So that's, uh, and that's some of the things we would like to avoid, right? We would like to help people to not run into this sort of issue. And that's why the UI, for instance, allows you to preview the outcome of those filter expressions. So you specify your filters, and then it will tell you, okay, those are the tables you would be capturing with those tables. And then you can work on the filters and modify them until you see, okay, that's the set of tables. I'm I'm interested in, mm-hmm. and it's a few other things like that. So you know uh, you have drop downs for let's say enumerated values. You have the help uh, description in the UI, so it tells you what's the purpose of those options. It's grouping the options so you get an understanding of what's important and what's maybe more optional, and really all those things which help a user to get started with Debezium more easily. That's what we currently like or have. But then we also would like to add more, like really give you support also for running the connectors and, you know, uh, see where they are at, maybe do some sort of lag um, analysis uh, if you are f- uh, falling behind the source uh, transactions and this kind of stuff. So it's it's work in progress and we are building out this um, UI right now. Okay, interesting. Uh, is it already working or is it just yeah yeah you can you can go to our documentation there's a page to be some ui it's a container image which you can download and you can just um you know download it and get started with it okay yeah so um that's that's the ui and another big thing is uh, this notion of incremental snapshotting um so to give you some background there to, or maybe you know it uh, i guess um, so you if you start up a new connector it optionally can take this initial snapshot of the data, right? As you mentioned, via JDBC, and then it will scan all the tables, will produce like a create event, essentially. And then once the snapshot has been completed, it will go over to the stream reading mode and it will continue to read the events from there. And in the past, we got lots of events, um, questions around it. One of them was always, how can we change our filter configuration? So let's say you have set up your filters and you are capturing, I don't know, 10 tables. And now there's another table uh, which you also would like to capture and which doesn't match those filters which you had defined before. And there was no good way for doing that, uh, for changing those filters and then maybe do just a snapshot for this new uh, additional table. You couldn't really do it in a good way. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes people would like to just redo a snapshot of a table. Um, maybe they've lost the data in Kafka. Maybe the retention was too short, something like that. So they would like to rebootstrap just one or a few topics. Or um, uh, they would like to pause a snapshot as a connector gets restarted. So this also was the case in the past. If a connector was doing the snapshot, and you were restarting it before the snapshot was completed, you would have to redo the entire snapshot. Mm -hmm. And depending on the size of the tables, this can take a while. Mm -hmm. 
And all those things are addressed with this notion of incremental snapshotting. And uh, this essentially allows you to trigger an ad hoc snapshot while the connector is running. So um, you can trigger it via different ways. For instance, there's uh, what we call a signaling table. So you can insert like a command record into the signaling table and the connector will pick it up from the table and then it will do a snapshot for just a particular table or multiple tables. And then this runs essentially concurrently with the stream processing. So there's so some sort of deduplication going on and the semantics are a bit different because it might happen, for instance, you get an event, um, you know, you get a snapshot event for the one record, but then you get a stream uh, event, an update event for another record because, well, it was updated because the snapshot was running. So there's some subtle um, semantical differences. But Are then it's different, different, different uh, record types because usually I think C is create, right? U is update, I right. guess. Yeah. Uh, this is like 31 now? Like no, it's, it's, so the event types are the same, okay. but what uh, the, what could happen is, so let's say before you would know for all my records, I will get this C record, uh, or, or let's say this R record for read event from the snapshot. Mm -hmm. um, you would know for all my data, I would have this R record once the snapshot has been completed. Whereas now the, exp the guarantee you get is for all records, or for each record which there is, you will either get this R record or you will get an update record if this happened to be updated. So you, it could be either or, and you don't really know what you will get. But in the end, once the incremental snapshot has completed, you will have all the data in Kafka because also the update records, they give you all the data, right? Mm -hmm. So that's, uh, there's some, there's some differences around it. But really, it resolves all those issues because now you can re-trigger snapshots at runtime. You can change your filters and you can, you know, then bootstrap this additional table. And this, um, I should say that that's all based on a research paper which Netflix wrote. Um, so Netflix engineers, they also worked or uh, work on a um, CDC system. And um, they actually, they mentioned they would open source it last year. But uh, since then, they ha I haven't seen it. So it's not open source as far as I know. But what they did do is they wrote a research paper about this uh, watermarked uh watermarking based snapshotting algorithm oh. and essentially we you know we read this research paper we found okay that's very useful it's great work they do we would like to have the debisum and then we implemented it hey if they don't open if they don't open source that then we will now create a documentary about that why they didn't right so <laughs> 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 and publish yeah. it on netflix you know <laughs> That would be funny. I know we had a, f a short conversation uh, with them, um, and uh, but I, I haven't heard uh, anything. It was early last year, and uh, since then, I, I haven't seen anything apart from that research paper. And you know, I really appreciate that they wrote that and um, make made it available. So it's a very nice improvement, and well, they did a great job with um, providing. That information. But um, for my understanding now, so let's say the first snapshot was uh, uh, was successful. I had I have all my data then in the topics. Right. I, and I just could, restart the snapshot. What happens then? Will I get additional events or is it smart enough to scan the, the topics or what do you Yes, what? Uh, no, it's so the way it now works is um it uh goes through the tables in a defined order. So essentially it mm -hmm. uh does an order select by primary key. Mm -hmm. And then it will also store in the offsets uh this is how far I got. Yeah. So let's say I got until primary key 10,000, then it will continue from 10,001, or let's say anything which is larger than 10,000 with the next chunk. So it's a, it's a chunk or a window-based uh, process, essentially, mm -hmm. goes over the tables in, in chunks. And it will continue from, from there. And this also is stored in the offsets. So if you restart the connector, it will know uh, from where to continue. This is what happens now, and what 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 happens? No, no, no. That, that, that's uh, yeah, exactly. But that's that's what's happening now. And before, well, it would just see in the offsets. Oh, I was in the middle of a snapshot. I will just restart from scratch. So even if I had re read already ninety nine percent of the data from a table, it would just restart everything. But then before we could get duplicates, right? Yes, definitely. You would have uh, duplicates uh, in that case. I mean, that's something you need to always be aware of with the Bism. It always has at least once semantics. Um, so there's failure scenarios, things like that. Uh, they could get duplicates. So as a consumer, you always need to be ready for that. Yeah, but but before before you, uh, your improvement right now, you would get actually duplicates for every business event, right? And now you yes, get so it, maybe, you know, a view duplicates if something goes wrong. I mean, what can happen, I guess, if someone uh, creates an event and you are snapshotting at the same time? This is more likely that you will get two events, right? I get, I guess. Now with the new approach? Yeah. Yes. Um, so, 
well, what happens is in that case, essentially, so it goes through the t uh, table, let's mm -hmm. say in chunks of 10,000, and then it, within that window, it will deduplicate de the data. So uh, let's say we receive um, an update for a particular record, and it also got uh, selected in the snapshot record or in the snapshot select in that uh, particular window. Then we would only uh, propagate uh, one of them, I believe, the, the update one. No, so, I think uh, the other way around, right? Because I guess you you read with read committed, I think, because you can just you cannot just lock the table. So you read probably with read committed isolation level. So if I would write and you are in the window, you won't see my write. Yes. Um, this what I'm just thinking. You know what can happen? I just, yeah. Yeah. Um, so I mean, the, the deduplication should work fine within the window, but still. Um, yeah, I mean, what always could happen is, of course, well, which makes sense, that we snapshot it in one window and then you do an update in the next one. Um, well, then you will see that update, which makes sense. Yeah, yeah, sense, you right? will see the update. But yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I, I thought, you know, that you will get a duplicate, which is not true. What will happen is you will you you won't see my change, but in the next update, you will see the change. So maybe right. this update will happen through the streaming and not through uh, snapshotting, right? This right. will happen, exactly. <coughs> so interesting. Yeah. Um Okay, so interesting to know. So uh, what means right now? Okay, so what you did during scanning, you storing in a Kafka offset uh, or in a state, um, summer state system? In the, in the Kafka, in the connect offset, right? In the connect, uh, it, uh, of course. No, no, not of course, because pluggable right now, right? So you could actually yes. re replace it. So, But uh, exactly. in 90% of the cases, Kafka offset. So you are scanning the table, and uh, during your scan, you are writing to Kafka offset what what you actually scanned, and before that uh, it was uh, you had to scan everything to be successful. There's, there was no state, right? right associated. Exactly, exactly right. Okay, and and yeah. and and why you needed the research paper from Netflix because it doesn't sound that hard, right? <laughs> no, I, that's true. I mean, but still, you need to have the right idea, right? And um, let's say. So before that, we always were very focused on that idea to do a consistent snapshot before we do the stream reading. We didn't really think about it that way. You could do a snapshot, and while that is happening, you also could already read events from the log. I believe that's the major difference. And, um, you know, that's what we learned uh, from the paper. Yes, I guess we could have come to that by ourselves, but, well, you know, we learned about it in that paper. So because No, because if you are scanning... Uh why I'm curious, if you are reading the tables, uh, you are using JDBC, at least right. what I saw. So, And if you're using yeah. JDBC, they are the isolation level. So with that, you can tell how consistent the scan has to be. You know, if we are, it is too consistent, then it is slower, so the others uh, won't be able to write or are going to be blocked. But this is what you, what you can do. And the streaming part, let's say in Oracle, depends on the settings of the, uh, how it's called, Golden Gate. I wouldn't, wouldn't, uh, yeah, log, log miner. Log miner, case. right. Yeah. And, and, and uh, in Postgres, I don't even know whether it's configurable because it's the uh, uh, logical decoding, I think is the name, right? right? Yeah, the, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And um, so uh, this is the, 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 the actual transactions from the database, the, the, the other transactions. So we have actually two transactions in place, right? One is reading, this yep, is yes. your, your snapshotting, and the other right. is the regular uh, tr um, data based transaction they are competing inside a table so this is the problem you you have well in a way but i mean we read for, uh, the stream reading happens from the transaction log right so at that point in time ah, you're uh, right. tra tra transactions have been committed uh, so we don't really com compete with any uh, transactions which you know are written to the database in that sense this is true this is yeah, the streams are reading from the log. This is true. There's, you have one. Maybe this is the you know where the research happened because you are reading after. As this is like an you know, outside the database. You are reading from right. the ar archives, let's say, from backup, right? So you can see, or from the from replica. This is actually more common way. In because, a way, yes. Because Postgres thinks you are it replicates to you, and this is actually the Bezium. So you are reading from replica. Uh, in, no, the replica is used for the events, and you are reading from the master for snapshotting. This is this right. is what okay exactly 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 right. Okay, now I'm happy. So now now yeah. we we covered you know <laughs> the architecture <laughs> now uh, how 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 it works with okay. So this was the uh, 
nice feature because if the database is huge and I already saw in my case I, it was a subset of a database but I think yeah. it took uh, like five to ten minutes until everything was replicated so um, at the yes and then but to be honest I mean people are running snapshots which take much longer to be honest um, so that's also what something we would like to do we would like to explore how we can parallelize the snapshot execution right so you could think about having multiple threads which run, which run multiple snapshot transactions in parallel on different subsets, different chunks on the data, of course. Um, so that's also something maybe we get to that in, in 1.9 uh, next year. So it's definitely a thing we would like to explore because, well, it's the feedback we get from people. Hey, we have large tables with, I know, hundreds of millions of records and how can we speed up the data there? Also, so then you will need a data con uh, a direct conversion between, you know, the format of the table to the Kafka topic, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's, uh, I think this, this parallelization, this will help. What also, of course, helps is if you just can narrow down the data, the amount of data you need to snapshot, right? So you also today you have the option, is, let's say you have some records which are logical deleted. So you have this uh, delete marker in your tables and you only want to extract the active uh, records which are not deleted then you can customize the snapshot select for the table so you would just uh, snapshot the non-deleted uh, subset of the data so that's also a possibility yeah interesting so this was the first feature and we were already very excited excited about this <laughs> so uh, what is the next one if you have any interesting so let me see i i i, I opened some division blog posts um i mean there's also lots of integration improvements right so we have for instance uh, integration with with um open tracing so that's also very cool so it tells you where uh your time is spent if you have uh, this sort of end-to-end -end messaging flow so uh, one of the things i mean maybe we have spoken about before is this outbox pattern right where you use debesium to essentially exchange events from different microservices to each other. So, okay, and so what is the output, output, outbox right. pattern? So describe so it as briefly as possible. Exactly. So the so the, the default way of using Tbizum is you capture your actual, let's say, business tables, right? So you have a table with purchase orders, you capture changes from it, and you send it to Kafka. Now, a concern which people sometimes have is if they take those change events and they expose them to external systems, it is kind of leaking the internal data model of this source application. And now this could be a problem or it could not be a problem. Let's say I'm just taking the data to a cache, to a search index. I feel this sort of ex, you know exposure isn't a problem. But if I use the data to send it to another microservice, which really is an own bounded context and everything, then I would say, yes, I, maybe I don't want to expose my internal data model directly to such an external system. And this is where this outbox pattern comes in because Maybe it reflects what people might have is, okay, I want to, you know, do the updates to my database, but then I also would like to send an event to this other service to tell this, uh, this external service about something. And the problem is you cannot do those two things, updating your database and sending something to Kafka uh, in a safe way at the same time because you don't have a global transaction it means uh, things will go wrong, right? You might end up with a state where you have committed the transaction in the database, but then this message sending to Kafka, that failed, or the other way around, and you might not even know about it. So that's really bad. And the outbox pattern helps with that because, well, in that case, you do the changes to your database. So you update your purchase order table and whatnot. And at the same time, you also insert a record into another table, this outbox table, and this is really just a message which you would like to have sent to external systems. So there you could use a JSON-based um, message format or whatever you would like to use. It's a message contract which you consciously expose to the outside world. And then you use Debezium just to capture the changes from this outbox table. And you send those outbox events over to Kafka. Okay. So that's the outbox pattern in a nutshell. Okay. So uh, it's just like adapter between your tables and uh, one or, or facet to... To, yeah, uh, yeah it, it avoids it avoids this notion of dual rights, right? Because you only write to your database, and now, well, if if your transaction gets rolled back, also this outbox event would not be persisted, right? So we would also not send a message to yeah. Kafka but then via the, change data capture. But then the busy would be set up just to listen exclusively on the outbox tables, right? Exactly, ex exactly right. Um, and actually, by the way, I should mention it. Um, so it is a, a table uh, in most of the cases, but let's say in case of Postgres. What you also have is you have the ability to directly send messages to the transaction log. So there's a specific function 
forgot the name, something like PG logical omit message or something like that, which lets you send a message straight to the transaction log so it won't show up in any table and still uh, we could capture that using CDC and then you know it would give you a very efficient means of implementing that pattern um, so there's actually by the way uh, work happening for supporting that in the community uh, in DBSM at this point I actually know that uh, Postgres uh, supports a kind of messaging via the GDBC driver I would have to check it whether it is also yeah. available via GDBC you be, I believe you mean uh, listen notify, right? Yeah, I think Can so. It? Yeah, yeah. Which by the that's nice. Um, you need to keep in mind only if you're if you are not running, you won't uh, receive any events. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's the difference. Yeah, just no. Uh, I thought I just wondered whether this functionality you're describing here is available via JDBC driver because then you could just directly send messages via JDBC oh, to Kafka. You know, yeah, it is great. available. Yeah, I see what you mean. It is available in the sense it's a stored procedure uh, or function. I don't know how they call it, uh, which you just can invoke via JBC. Yeah, this is actually interesting. Uh, also for testing, right? So you could just uh, very easily test in you know, Kafka for tests. Right. Uh, so, and let's say, and, and I'm all seeing all that. So if we have this outbox pattern and uh, people use that a lot, by the way, we also have a Quarkus extension which uh, helps you with implementing this outbox pattern. There you just need to emit a CDI event, uh, which describes this event. And then this extension will take care of everything else, uh, persisting it in the right table, um, maybe deleting it from the table, because this is also doable. Uh, we don't need to have the event in the table itself. We just want to capture it from the log. So you can insert and delete it right away. That's uh, something you can do with this Quarkus extension. And now there's also support for distributed tracing for all of that. So you could uh, go to Jaeger tracing, for instance, and then you could examine this entire end-to-end -to -end flow. You would see when has the message been you know, record, uh, recorded in your application, when has it been uh, persisted in the database, when has the vision picked it up, and so on. So this gives you very nice end-to-end -end, uh, insight. But it's actually crucial because if you're uh, even even without outbox patterns, so let's say what's interesting is when the data arrives in the into the database, and then right. let's say the Bezium is interesting. But even more interesting is after the Bezium, if you have you know other microservices just reading from. I, actually, we shouldn't call them microservices because lots of confusion. Uh, I, meanwhile, I, t I I I talk about data processors or whatever. So it's just you know yeah. a process which sits on one Kafka topic and writes to another. There's nothing to do with microservices. So this. Uh, uh, this process, um, you know, does something with the data. Now, now the interesting part is how long does it take from the initial ingestion until you know you see something usable on the business side? And right. uh, yeah, and this is open tracing is a great idea. So you will need just need to add this pen ID, whatever it's called, to the to the message, so it will travel around. Exactly right. right. Exactly right. So uh, and. Um, now, what you can do is you can already insert the span ID, at least for the Outbox events, you can insert the span ID right uh, in the source application itself into a separate column in that Outbox table. Um, and I believe also otherwise you can, if you can configure it, uh, so we can pick it up from a particular column mm -hmm. and then the span or was it, the trace will start even at the source um, uh, application, right? If that's not the case, well, then we will take the commit timestamp. That will be the first exactly. um, spend. This would be enough use. because you know yeah. which table you say, okay, from the commit ID, I could, or whatever you have, I could just, you know, this is my initial start of the event, right? right. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And then, yeah, so this gives you this, I, I really like it, right? Going to Jaeger UI and being able to see, okay, that's the entire flow. You can see where time has been spent. And so This on. is the most requested, actually, use case. So in my project, because I get always the question of how long does it take until I see something, you know, because Kafka yeah. is supposed to be real time, but no one believes that at the, at the beginning. Say, so, okay, how long does it take? And um, and this right. is actually really nice because you, you also see the lag. What could happen is that your database is, I mean, could happen, is it unlikely that the database is faster than your Kafka configuration? Configuration, uh, or you spend, you know, to, uh, your, your um, how to call it, the yeah. follower brokers cannot keep up, so you see some delay, and uh, yeah. th this this could be also used for open tracing. Yeah, definitely. I mean, so uh, you know, and there can be lag sometimes. So the other day we had somebody who reported they do an update which uh, updates fifty million records in their table. So it's one innocent update statement, but then 50 million change events result out of that, right? So it will take some time to process those. This is a, a nice stress test, by the way, right? Such an update yes, for, for, for your it, infrastructure. It, absolutely, exactly. <laughs> did we cover the, uh, the, you know, the killer use cases? I believe so. Yeah, I, I think uh, UI, incremental snapshotting, this entire notion of building out the BSIM to a whole CDC platform. Um, so yeah, I believe that's, that's what has happened uh, over the last few releases. 
At the beginning, Debezium was for me, this is a question also to you from the architecture point of view, Debezium was for me more like a, a help to, you know, to, to get rid of SQL databases. And, uh, okay. and, and or old monolith or whatever, so old infrastructure. Yeah. But meanwhile, what I use Debezium for is to, let's say, how to call it, empower, this was what I, to empower developers just to know, to use your know, classic SQL, which they actually like with Postgres. Right. And don't care all about the transactions and whatever. And on the other side, uh, we can have, you know, the real-time analytics world, and they are perfectly yeah. decoupled. So meanwhile, Absolutely. I even see, um, and, and what you can do then, because also interesting observation, is that... Uh, microservices, right? Uh, I don't know, they are somehow misunderstood or, or at least what I see in projects, they, uh, as a developers, I think they have to do them and then they say, okay, yeah, I have a microservice and the database is completely isolated and you have another microservice completely yeah. isolated and they have like 50 microservices, three developers and lots, you know, of an, an entire <laughs> an unproductive environment, right? Yeah. And um, what we did in some projects is uh, we reversed that. We say, okay, uh, small team, one database, no isolation, Postgres, and yeah. we build, you know, s s um, larger microservices, but with perfect, oh, was perfect, a really nice internal logical structure. So right. the modularization happens in packages, not on the microservice right. side. So you can be crazy yeah. productive. You know, you, you reduce the amount of Maven modules and so forth. You yeah. have one Postgres database, but whether you have one Postgres or 10, doesn't matter. You have the same tables. So it means the data remains the same. And on the other side, uh, we use Debezium, and uh, we have the business events. Mm -hmm. And this is interesting. I never use the Outbox pattern because if I would use Outbo the Outbox pattern, the developers will have to do the work with the Outbox. You know, you will have to convert, you know, the, your, yes. your table events. Right. And this is no yes. more as, how to call it's it, agile? Fully yeah, yeah, it's not fully transparent to the application yeah. side of things. That's so, true. so the interesting is part is what we do the outbox pattern is afterwards. So in my architecture, always this was like the you know the default Debezium. I had like the yeah. first service was the ingestion service, mm -hmm. and or ingress different names. Ingress I think is better. And what it does is Quarkus usually it listens to the technical. Uh, it it, it uh, understands already the Debezium message. And uh -huh. and creates um, a business methods uh, message, and this this involves you know as uh, a simple data uh, conversions, data type conversions. Right. It uh, skips the metadata. We don't need it anymore. I don't care then uh -huh. whether the event was created or updated. I just need to know my event, and maybe some simple joins sometimes. But right. this is what yeah. it is, and um, and this is my outbox basically, and this worked perfectly because yeah. developers can do whatever they like. And uh, mm -hmm. and uh, we try to keep up on the other side, right? And we okay, are decoupled. Yeah, yeah, that makes lots of sense. I mean, you know, there's different ways of going about it, right? No, it's just, just with you. That's discussion because uh, it's an interesting yeah. story. You you told me about the outbox, so I see right. the point. If you have no, yeah, yeah like um, Dennis will be like the database is a center of the universe. If I have Kafka, for me the yeah. database is just you know a nicer way to query the yeah. data. Because uh, the, the, the Kafka or Kinesis is master of the data, not, no more the database. This is the idea. No, the Kafka is a single source of mm -hmm. truth, and we are just misusing the database to move faster. Because, you know, if you uh, presto the B, or I always forget the second name, what is it? Kino? Trino. 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 Okay, exactly. <laughs> this uh, Trino or presto the B, it is not as, you know, the tooling is still not comparable okay. with Postgres and SQL. Yeah, okay, I see. I mean, one of the things also to keep in mind is, so I totally see why you do it that way, and I, I'm very sympathetic. Was it one of the challenges, which you may have, I'm, I'm curious actually, is so you will lack the information, or let's say you might like the information about the transactional boundaries which happen in the database. So let's say, because uh, you, you mentioned uh, joining, right? So let's say what could happen is you do uh, have um, a model where you have a purchase orders table and then you have another table with the order lines, right? So it's like a one-to-end kind of relationship. And now maybe you would like to produce what you call a business event, which describes the entire purchase order. So it would be a join between the two and you would have the information about the order header and then let's say five lines, mm -hmm. right? And now if you do this joining after the fact, uh, based on Kafka topics uh, for the two tables, you will, by default at least, you would not be aware of any transactional boundaries in the source database. 
So what could happen is you run this join and it will first uh, pick up just, uh, let's say, three out of those five order lines and you will produce a join which uh, contains just a subset of the entire order. And then you run it again uh, and Kafka Streams does it for you, right? So you don't yeah. really control it. And then you run it again shortly thereafter and you will have the full join with the f uh, five order lines. And now, depending on your requirements, this seeing this first intermediary join is something which you may or not, not uh, which you may or not may want to have, right? Um, I, I mean, and, with, this joining happens with Kafka Streams joins, right? On the on, on my side. And yeah. uh, if it happens, it depends which kind of join this is. So Kafka actually, I think, supports all kinds of joins. But uh, you can specify, I, I always confuse the joins, whether you know the left or the right side uh, triggers. The yeah, update. yeah, sure. But you will have, um, at least in the, from a Kafka Streams uh, perspective, you don't have a way, uh, but because you just don't know. I only would like to run this join once I have seen all those five insert events, uh, which originate from that one ah, right? You mean the, the, uh, you have individual inserts. So yes, they, exactly. Okay, but uh, exactly. you know, in my projects, the the we use Quarkus as microservices, or uh, uh -huh. uh, some uh, Payaras or Wifers as well. But now you know the majority is Quarkus, and if uh -huh. you have the inserts, usually if you use JPA, the uh, the uh, the transaction boundary in my projects is on the boundary level. Yeah, yeah, sure. okay, sure. So they will all be they will all be inserted as one transaction, right? In yes. from a, a JDBC or database perspective. But then in Kafka streams, you yeah. will just receive five change events. You don't know what is the uh, uh, transaction scope for them. At least uh, by default, there is a way you can do it in DBZ. And this is we have the ability to expose another topic which tells you about the transaction boundaries. And what happens then is it will tell you on that topic. Okay, so a transaction one, two, three, it started, uh, and then you will receive another event, a transaction one, two, three committed, and then it will tell you, okay, in this transaction, there was one insert for all the headers and five inserts for all the lines. And now this is something which you could use in Kafka streams to implement some sort of buffering. So you could implement it that way. Uh, so you await all those six events and then only then you emit this join and you send it downstream. Yeah. Uh, I think what happens in my case, I just thought about this because uh, we use this mostly for analytics, and this was not uh, it was not uh, not huge, you know, uh, problem so far. But what will happen in this particular case is I will get multiple updates. So I think the right. the, the, the joints in Kafka will will fire multiple times. Exactly. So you will see one order with with one line, with two and three right. and four. But the order has always the same ID, and if you do, you know, exactly. the the, the right. uh, Item potent way, which yeah. you can you have yes. because if so you, it will right it will be correct and complete in the end right yeah. it's just you will see those intermediary joints for a short yeah. period of time and let's say you send that data to Elasticsearch uh, and you do some search so what could happen is you run the search and uh, you will only get results. Uh, for one of the order lines right or for a subset of the order lines and then if you run the search in Elasticsearch the next Second again, uh, then you would be able to query on the entire order. So this may or may not be a problem, right? Um, yeah. So that's why I'm saying it. What, uh, what also I, I said right now is the typical case like, you know, um, so such projects happen in several stages. So the first stage is we have a huge database. It's very important. Don't touch it. Do something, right? So and then right. you install the Bizium. You you have the business events in the topics, and then you can do whatever you like. So if, if there is additional, if the added value happens on the Kafka side, so behind yeah. the Bizium, then we have more power. And then I wouldn't call it outbox pattern, but what we could do, for instance, we could uh, denormalize the database a little bit yes. to make it more convenient. And uh, exactly. and 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 then it is uh, without the outbox because outbox is additional step. This is the same transaction, right. but I have to do something. Exactly. But if exactly. I you know adjust the database a little bit more, uh, yeah. and uh, this is what will happen in my project, what I will try to push for. Because uh, in at the beginning of Java, I think my first wildfire project, one of the larger wildfire project, was two thousand two or something like this. Yeah, and uh, you know the administrator wanted to have fully normalized Oracle, which was terrible to work with uh, back then. I think it was well, Hibernate. That wasn't even JDBC or Hibernate. It was JPA was not on the horizon. And uh, and then uh, no, we and then we denormalized the database because it just didn't work, right. and then it worked. Way better back then with performance yeah. and everything. And this I would see the same. No, first we get all the data out, and then see because also if I get the topping from you, like the transaction topic, 
Yeah. Is still additional work involved? Because then I would try you know, to join, I don't know whether it's possible, with the transaction topic or do something about that or wait until right. something happened. You know, you have to, yeah. yeah, I will have to join with the, do with the best, right? Yeah. The first join would be, you know, the order with the order lines. And the uh, and the significant join would be you know the commit topic with the other lines because right. and I will yeah. create from this day the business event. This would be my approach then. Right. Yes. And, and so yeah, definitely you can do that. And actually, that's also one of the things we are considering as part of the Debezium platform work. So we might provide you with some ready-made service or component for doing that, right? So we might give you a Kafka Streams-based microservice, which you configure uh, and you just tell it, okay, those are the topics which I would like to join, and and it will do all this uh, joining logic for you, and it will emit those events then to uh, downstream topics. So that's something, you know, if you find the time, we would like to do that as part of the music. Yeah. What, what I'm wondering, what you could also do is that, um, you know, the commits from the database, Right. You could actually buffer the events, right? Well, we could do that, but uh, and in some cases, we even have to do that. The problem is this is a problem of unlimited growth, right? So if you have, you can have large transactions. Sometimes people do it. I don't know why, but they do it. They run a transaction which goes for 10 hours. Okay. And this means we will have to buffer gigabytes of events, and this can be a problem, right? So that's why we try to avoid it as much as possible. Yeah. Perfect. So Gunnar, I think we will skip your other endeavors to the <laughs> next podcast because this was too interesting. But uh, the title would be great, like, you know, what's new with Debezium in Debezium land. Right, and, definitely. Uh, yeah, and uh, it was a really interesting discussion because what I was curious about, what I'm doing, whether it is you know, a hack or a kind of best practice, yeah. but it can be any, either way, depends on the project. It sounds very reasonable what you do. Yeah. <laughs> and I didn't know you are that, uh, that an avid Debezium user, actually, so that's very cool to know. Yeah, you, you know this because I found a bug and reported a bug and you fixed this, you know. You oh yeah, yeah, this. right. That was the one, but I didn't know it, uh, you are using that that much. That's really cool. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's an interesting project, and uh, it started for me as a hack, and now it becomes more more or less a best practice. You know how to right. use awesome. the best of the <laughs> best of words because you can yeah. create your oh the last thing last observation. Hold on, hold on. Can you tweet that? You you need to tweet uh, using the business of best practice in modern microservices architecture or something. <laughs> yeah, sure. Uh, yeah. Um, after the discussion with Gunnar, this would be the you know the, the, the pre we'll do it right now. But um, but uh, in microservices, exactly. So uh, the, this is my observation. The tables were always hidden behind the microservice. And you right. had to communicate a lot between microservices with really strange yeah. patterns involved because you cannot just have joins. If the database is isolated, you have to use yeah. the APIs. So now the interesting part, in Kafka, it's the other way around. So we have a few uh, private topics. So like uh, mm -hmm. this is the topics which uh, are directly, you know, um, um, how to call it, uh, with the data provided from the table, with the one-to-one -one mm -hmm. relation. And we have the business topics, which are more or less public. So mm -hmm. the microservices can read and write or read from the topics and write to other topics. And mm -hmm. you get natural de decoupling because the microservices never know each other because mm -hmm. the public are uh, the topics are public. You know? Mm -hmm. So with Debezium, I have the best of both worlds. So I have my monolith-like architecture on the left side and the yeah. you know uh, event-driven architecture on the right side with a high decoupling. What I always hated, you know, the mix, like a microservice right. which are isolated but not fully, and I don't know Kafka like a JMS. It was a hot mess. But now with the piece, yeah. there's a clear boundary between the monolith request response world and event-driven, you know, topic business event world. Right. This right. Is yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah, I see uh, how you say that. Um, I mean, it's interesting because. Um, so you seem to be a lot in this camp of I do I take my Debezium raw topics I don't want to modify application logic uh, at all I, I would like to take the you know the raw change event topics and then I do some sort of downstream processing to produce higher level events join yeah. them and so on and then there's another school of thought which uh, you know rather do uh, try to do all that as part of their application using then this outbox pattern and uh, you know sending specifically tailored messages already out of the application itself. So I just find it interesting to see how you can go about it in different ways. Yeah, uh, the the reason is because uh, if, you, if you're working in a project, the developers already have the database. And, yeah. and and it's not like, you know, uh, they they have nothing to do. They are already, you know, under under pressure. 
if I right. tell them create the outbox pattern is not uh, at the beginning to to have Kafka, they will hate me twice. You know, say so, okay, why okay. first? But 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 then I can come into a project and say, yeah. okay, do whatever you like. It's getting even easier. We can delete all right. the microservices, reintroduce uh, monolith, and everything yeah. go uh, is going to be fine. And now it comes to outbox. Before I write the data in the database tables to another table, yeah. yeah, why not just use Quarkus and write directly to Kafka? You know, if oh. I because on the left side I have. Oh, you mean oh, you mean only going to Kafka, never go to your database? Yeah. That what? Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, okay, but then you have lots of challenges around queries, right? Because you wouldn't uh, have like uh, instant read your own writes. This kind of stuff, uh, or let's say, how do you implement the unique constraint with this kind of model? This is absolutely true, but I mean, in such events where I will need a special special signaling table or special communications, I can just use Kafka directly. This is what I wanted to tell you know, not for okay, our. So this is we can always do this this way. So I mean, you know, the idea we can start without any change to use the Bezium. Yeah. Right. A yeah, yeah this, that's certainly true. This is a huge acceptance, you know. If I would start yeah. with any change in the database, right. no one, no, no one believes in Kafka first on the basis of what is this and you know yeah, will it yeah, works. Okay. Like you know, what you can do, yeah. we install this and see what how it works. And on the right yeah. side, we create you know some windowing uh, functions or whatever. Right. And then then you see already the added value in management, and and then uh, and then you can change yeah. you know the database. Right. Yeah, yeah, that's that's true. That's a very nice way of thinking. That, I mean, I saw that way of thinking mostly when it comes to legacy applications, which people don't want to touch at all, or maybe they don't even can touch them. I don't know. They don't have the source code any longer. Uh, but yeah, I see how it also makes sense in a new development, as you described. Yeah. And, and the last thoughts about a legacy, actually the legacy applications, so reasonable legacy, worked actually exceptionally well. So for me, leg legacy would be larger microservices. What you did with Java, e, now you do with Quarkus. So code is the same, but let's run it with right. Quarkus. So I would get you know five microservices or monolith, well yeah. structured internally, a single database. It works perfect. If you have a small yeah. team of motivated developers and they know what they are doing, it's perfect. Right. So, <laughs> yeah. But then, <laughs> if you introduce microservice here and you don't have five but thirty microservices, yeah. It is no more as nice as it was before. And the microservices you would consider as the modern way of thinking, which for me is a step backward, you know. Yeah. And with the yeah, Debezium, yeah. I can have both. This, this is the point. I wouldn't right. call it legacy. It's like to back to legacy and set it as something we just need, yeah. need a new world, you know, a new yeah. word for this. Uh, right. Call it however you like, right. Yeah. Okay, so yeah, that makes sense. That's, that's awesome. <laughs> Thank you a lot. Thank you. And let's talk about the other stuff then next time, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> okay, you. bye. Bye-bye.